0: Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Hockey Free for All Podcast. I'm your host, Steven Styles, and it's time to transition from that busy off-season summer into training camp already. So it's amazing that it's been that busy and it's just made the time fly by, but we are already getting ready for preseason to see who's who, what line combinations are going to come out of it, who's gonna make the team, who's not, who might be a trade right up front, who might be traded later on in the season. Lots of exciting things to look forward to this upcoming season. Let's start off with the wrapping up of Kerry Price. There's a lot of people that have moved down from the fact that it is likely he's played his last game or is a very good chance he's played his last game. Obviously, there are many that hope that doesn't happen, but one also has to look at it realistically. Everything from that 10-2 to two game with Florida to wrap up last season with, at which time he held his press conference, mentioning that if, in fact, that was his last game, he's okay, he's at peace with everything. That conversation has now moved on to, so where does Carey Price fit in in the world of Montreal goaltenders? And that in itself is what makes that such a challenging scenario, is it's like no other city in the National Hockey League. Most of the great goaltenders, not all, but most, have played in Montreal. You have just an incredible list of talented people that have patrolled that position for the Montreal Canadiens. George Hainsworth, George Vesna, Bill Durham, Jack Plant, Ken Dryden. The list just keeps going on. And is Carey Price better than any of those? That is probably one of the great debates. I mean, everybody will have their opinion. Some people will say, oh my god, how could you have not mentioned fill in the blank? There's been a lot of great people that have played, that have put that jersey on in multiple positions, and goaltending is no slouch. There has been a lot of the best in the sports history that have played in Montreal for goaltending. It is such a deep, rich position in that organization and things have been achieved or by no one else has even come close to over the years and decades there. That being said, the two best goaltenders that I can say I've ever honestly seen play the game is Ken Dryden and Vladislav Trediak. I think by far, in in my opinion, and again, this is probably as much of a generational topic as it is any other descriptive way you would want to explain that. In the fact, that everybody else has their favorite goaltender. My opinion, the only goaltender of the modern era that belongs in the conversation with that original group that I mentioned that played in Montreal is Martin Brodeur. Brodeur played just an incredible amount of games at over 1,224 games, had 125 shutouts, had a 2.24 career goals against, won multiple Stanley Cups. Unfortunately, that's the kind of criteria that one has to include or judge from in that city it's that competitive you're you're not talking about an expansion team you're not talking about a team that's you know, had flash in the pans. You're talking about a team and an organization that defines the term excellence. That's just what they've always been. So when you're looking at as far as where does someone fit in, what is that criteria? Is it how long they played for? Is it that they played or grew up in your home market, played for your hometown team? Was it your favorite team? I mean, it's it's an endless list. What determines is how many Stanley Cups that they've won, how many times their team just had no competition in their division and they walked away with it. What determines that scenario? I mean, it's an endless list that is very debatable, very probably argumentative. Some would say, argumentatively, the best players that ever played the game. Jean Beliveau, Gordie Howe, Bobby Orr. Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, and I think that's a hell of a list, but everybody, I'm sure, would have their addition to that. I find that a hard list to get in the way of. I mean, to come up with better players than that, those are the players that are truly generational players those are the players that truly you can put such as in Wayne Gretzky's case randomly you know Dave Semenko can be a left winger not really known as an offensive guy but Dave Semenko was suddenly a 70 point player because he played with Wayne Gretzky Mario Lemieux did the same thing I mean just an amazing group of players that changed the game when their blades touched the ice I mean that's that's really what that particular group is in the world of goaltenders what determines where their place is within your organization what is that is that career games played is the amount of shutouts that you have is the amount of Stanley Cups you've won or that you've gone to what is that determining criteria so that will probably be a question that will continue to plague or continue to be discussed by a lot of people that may actually have no end to it it just kind of depends on how how Carey Price proceeds. I mean, does he ever play again? If he does, to what extent? After his playing career, does he walk away from the game completely, as many have, as most have, or does he get into some type of coaching, whether it be at the NHL or any other level? I mean, the man obviously has many skills, obviously, could be not only a solid goaltending coach, but obviously would have a lot to share with somebody because of when and for how many years, and everything that he went through as a player in the National Hockey League and how long he played. With that said, let's turn the page on that topic. And I think one of the most other fascinating topics this offseason has been just the continuous questioning or apprehensiveness about the new management group and the new coaching staff. I absolutely am at a loss to understand any of that. I think the new management has filled in many holes that the organization has had for a long time and i think that will pay dividends for decades unless there's some type of house cleaning that for some reason would get rid of all that there are things that the canadians organization has needed for a long time or at least needed to enhance for a long time such as player development such as scouting staffs such as Internal understandings of not only the game, as virtually everybody in all those positions do, but also how to work with different players, how the game has changed, how to adapt to the current league style. I think there's been a situation in Montreal for a long time as we did so well with a certain way of playing or a certain style. How could we ever even consider moving on from that? That has haunted them, at least for the last 42 years. So finally all that has been. Changed up. You have management with a new way of thinking, outside of the box thinking, a management that has skills and understandings that, quite honestly, I'm not sure another management team in the NHL does. As far as Kent Hughes being a former player agent, I think that gives him a relational ability with players and allows him to see things from a perspective that a lot of general managers don't. They just haven't had that experience as part of their career. So I think he represents an entirely new. Or next generation of people in his position. With that said, I think Jeff Gordon is very unique from the standpoint that he doesn't hire people to agree with him. He hires people to provide information and to provide a perspective so that all bases are covered. Not that he hires people because he wants arguments, not because he wants people to disagree. He wants to hear all perspectives. He wants to look at the whole picture. And he doesn't seem to prejudge anything or anyone, which is really refreshing as if he already knows what you're going to say before you say it. Many people, unfortunately, in, in society to do that and it's one of the most catastrophic mistakes made he seems to have overcome that or he seems to not be bound by that which is extremely refreshing. Martin St. Louis has just been a breath of fresh air in every way possible as a coach. I think he relates to the players as a fellow player because of his very very recent retirement compared to anybody else that's coaching in the league. I think he understands the league and the current way it operates and what players have to accomplish in a way quite honestly that there may not be another coach that does currently. He is definitely not a coach finally that Is set in their ways or has a system. I absolutely love the way he talks about concepts versus systems. I think that is tremendously understated. And I think that remains misunderstood by a lot of people. It's like, well, you know, he has to pick a system sometime. No, he doesn't. There is a new way of coaching and there's new ways of dealing with and communicating with players that everybody seems to be on that topic all the time but I don't think the understanding of what that actually means maybe is understood as well and Martin St. Louis understands how to get through to players how to put them in a position to win and has a open mind which I think is critical to everything he's not shut down He's not, you know, close-minded. He's not sitting there going, I already know better for you than what you do. Which again, is a catastrophic mistake that a lot of people make thinking they know better for somebody than the actual person themselves. And that just is a fallacy more than anything else. Hopefully, as this season transitions, as we now move into the preseason, hopefully a lot of people's eyes will be opened. Hopefully people will be open to more change and be more flexible and actually have all of the adaptability that they think they have. And I mean that from people judging the organization this year. Hopefully they'll see all of that in play with the new management, the new coaching staff, how the players are dealt with. I think there's going to quite honestly be, although one could argue that there's never been a bad taste in the locker room, I think there's going to be a tremendous optimism in the locker room. I know a lot of people have wanted to look at this upcoming season and say, oh my god, this is going to be horrendous. This is nothing more than a Hankathon. This is nothing more than who can get the closest to or best odds for Conor Bedard. I think it's going to be a lot more than Conor Bedard. I I think there's an opportunity here for a lot of players that have legitimate career opportunities that a lot of rosters and organizations wouldn't allow them. I think that's just the perfect time that if you step up, you show you should be there, you show you're the person that should be in that position, there's an opportunity for you to grab. I think it's going to be a record G year of trades in Montreal. I think whether that happens throughout the season or at the trade deadline, which will create another roster shift at that point. Once you see all those players moved out, you'll see players called up from Laval and from other areas that will fill those roster spots and people will continue to come in and work their way into the roster. I think transition is really the word for this season coming up. In wrapping up the coaching discussion, I think Stefan Robidas is going to be a fantastic defensive coach. I think, again, he brings new ideas, new concepts, has an understanding of how to deal with players today, like St. Louis, played many years, and in the case of Stefan Robidas, just under a thousand games in the National Hockey League. That type of communication, that type of relation to players from coaching staff is invaluable. And really, it would have been nice to see that be the focus on the coaching staff this year, rather than the excessive amount of people that said, oh my God, we need to have a veteran coaching voice as part of the staff, not really. You don't need anything to get in the way of that. You don't need any conflicts. And not to say that it automatically would be, but this coaching staff needs to be able to do its job. And fortunately, the management group seems to understand that clearly. They have their plan on how to do their job. They wanna have other people that know how to do their job and have a plan to do their job and will let do their job. So hopefully that all falls into place and nobody gets in the way there from there let's get into the captain and I think from there the naming of Nick Suzuki as the new captain I think will be nothing but a tremendous positive for the organization I just hope the early on injury that has so far kept him out of the preseason and is said to be a two-week injury turns into nothing more than that unfortunately one of his assistant captains joel edmondson is already gone down with what's being classified as a long term or an injury that is indefinite. That's really unfortunate. Let's hope that doesn't create another 25 game or less season for Joel Edmondson. If it does, unfortunately, there would have to be a serious review of his health and things moving forward. Maybe that opens up a second spot for one of the younger defensemen, who everybody seems fascinated with these days. Caden Gooley has certainly led the group as far as looking the best. to fit right in. Yes, everybody's going to have flaws. I highly doubt you're going to have somebody come right in and be a Bobby Orr, Paul Coffey, Larry Robinson right off the bat. So let's give them, like hopefully all the younger players or when players are first establishing themselves, an actual opportunity to get settled, understand the game. It's a lot of processing that needs time and it's bizarre that people either don't seem to understand that or don't want to give it to them and they just want people to like step in like they. have been doing it for years already that is just not going to happen fortunately they have a fantastic support group in the new player development group they have rob ramage they have francis bullion there's a lot of support and i think that's one of the biggest changes that the canadians have made is they realize there needs to be almost i won't say one-on-one but more of a close-knit development group for the needs of those players to give them the greatest ability to achieve success in their careers. Along those lines, would love to have a long discussion about Logan Mylou. Uh, That's a discussion that's probably left to others. And for the main reason, it is a topic that could be anything from very casual to very explosive. I certainly wish him the best. I think he has a load of skills. I think he'll be a tremendous fit on the right side of the defense. It wouldn't surprise me at all at some point to see the second pairing of the Montreal Canadiens someday be Logan Mylou and Arbor Akjai. Or you could have a first pairing that could have Logan Mylou on the right and Caden Gooley on the left. But I definitely see those defensemen in the top four. Where does that put Jordan Harris? That's going to be a question. Because I think Jordan Harris is going to be a very unique talent. Is he going to be the most physical specimen? Not at all. He's not a hard-hitting guy. He's never said he was. But he's very smart. He has great anticipation. He has great ability to know situational positioning on the ice. And I think that in itself is a tremendous Skill. If you watch the way he's already played in his ten games last year, and when players like Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki are on the ice, there's an awareness there of where to be in the best position to create offense, to create excitement for the team, to create flow, if you will. So let's give the young defensemen as well as the young forwards an opportunity to find their game. And again, like we've talked about in past episodes this year, this is the first time for a lot of people on the offensive side Owen Beck has looked fantastic there were many people that thought he should have been a middle of the first round draft pick and Montreal might have their latest steal in him because he has looked phenomenal in training camp he hasn't looked out of place certainly doesn't look like a guy that's a rookie in the NHL or that's only played one year of junior hockey so far but definitely looks like an amazing prospect that way. So again, for all these people that are like, oh, you know, Montreal doesn't have really that exciting of a prospect coming down the road. I think they got a lot of exciting prospects. Owen Beck, Philip Mazar, Juraj Slokowski, I think he's going to be a fantastic player. The big catch with him is the right line mates and just given the opportunity. If those two things happen, I think his success and his skill set sky's the limit. I think he's got a lot of skill. I think he's going to be a phenomenal, player. I think he's a very unique package. For all of those that like to compare players, oh he's going to be the next. The player that I keep coming back to when I think of Yerai Slavkowski is Yarim or Yager. I keep thinking of a more physical and even more offensive version of Yager. And that is a lot of pressure on a kid. Can he get there? I think he can. I think he's got the right coaching staff. That being said, it is not going to happen overnight. And if Slavkovsky goes Goes to the AHL to begin with it's not a bust and quite honestly if he stays there till the trade deadline because he won't get adequate and not only adequate but top six forward minutes, which he needs, then put him in Laval. He needs to play a lot of minutes. It's not a confidence issue with him. He's got confidence. I absolutely love Slovkovsky's perspective and the way he's dealing with being drafted number one overall, living, playing, and being in Montreal, which is no small pressure pot at all in any way, shape, or form. I think he's got the right disposition for being in the city of Montreal. As a matter of fact, the drafting of Yerai Slavkowski and Philip Mazar may be something of a trend that you'll start to see. There's a lot of North Americans who either like or don't like the pressure, there's a lot of North Americans who want to be in the spotlight or don't want to be in the spotlight. Europeans almost seem better off for cities like Montreal or Toronto. If you remember Matt Sundin came into Toronto. If you remember Saku Koivu came into Montreal. Peter Svoboda came into Montreal. Yaroslav Halak came into Montreal. There was never an intimidation with anything. They never felt overwhelmed in any of those scenarios. And you can go back to players like Borea Salman in Toronto. The Europeans have never been intimidated by the sudden rush or flush of people or perceived pressure in cities such as those. And that is a skill and an advantage all until itself. And if you listen to your Iveslavsky currently, he's very at peace. He's very relaxed. He is not nervous at all. He says, Hey, you know, I can do I could have done this better. I could have done that better. It'll get better as I play more, it'll get better is I'm more familiar with the North American ice, the North American game, what the coaching staff wants from me. He is very at ease with things, which is a phenomenal skill. skill for somebody that was drafted number one overall and is 18 years old. That will serve him well. I don't know if a kid out of the Canadian juniors and certainly a homegrown star out of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League could have handled that the same way. Mario Lemieux in his draft year, as much as he loved the Montreal Canadiens. He didn't even want to play in that city, of all that. He wanted to be his own person he wanted when he was not playing to just be able to blend in to not be overtaken by people and it's not that he had any kind of issues with people or anything else he just wanted to keep the game separate he wanted some separation in there and europeans when they come to especially canada which is much more of a hockey country than the u.s and some people would get dramatically offended by that but it has been largely a canadian sport for its entire history above and beyond any of country so that's why the canadian cities have the reputation that they do of hockey crazy markets i think it's the most amazing sport in the most amazing country as well they have a true passion for the game and i think that's important and i think that's representative in every sport europe obviously has loved soccer a lot longer than north america has you obviously have football crazy people in the united states which is different than the canadian football league in canada it goes on I mean baseball as much as there has been cities the Montreal Expos the Toronto Blue Jays and things like that baseball is still when you say baseball to somebody it's always Red Sox Yankees Mets Dodgers Cardinals all of those kind of things as well so let's wrap up episode 13 with a topic that we will be covering in depth moving forward starting in episode 14 and that is training camp it will be extraordinarily exciting with the amount of forwards that Montreal already has, not even including any of the rookies, with all the defensive options that they have, even before you get to the rookies, but certainly including them as well, the goaltending position, Jake Allen has already kicked off things and looked really solid it'll be great to see and very interesting to see what the injury season will be this year it kind of is a little scary right off the bat like I mentioned earlier that Joel Edmondson may already be on the sideline if you will for a long period of this season hopefully that's not the case and he returns soon. But one has to wonder if the back injury that he has again, which I believe, if I recall correctly, was the major problem last year, has become a chronic situation. And that would be most unfortunate because he will be sorely missed, not just as an alternative captain, but I think he could help the Caden Gooley's, the Jordan Harrises, Arbor Akjai's and others tremendously. Mike Matheson has looked really good to this point in the training camps and that hopefully will propel people to move on from what kind of player is Mike is he going to be good is he going to be bad we don't know we're going to question him to death hopefully that has already helped people move on he is a phenomenal fluid skater he is just an effortless skater he could eat up a ton of minutes I think he's going to have a much larger role on the defense this year although it wouldn't be a glamorous defensive pairing I think he and David Savard, and when I say he, again, I think Mike Matheson and David Savard will probably eat up the majority of the minutes on defense this year. Could be interesting, could be concerning because not so much in Mike Matheson's case, David Savard is in his 30s now. So on how many consecutive nights and continuously can he play? Hopefully 25 minutes plus. Hopefully he and Mike Matheson could be that 25 to 27 minute defensive pairings. And if that's the case, then you've got the second and third pairings, little less stress, maybe at 18, 17 minutes a game. That might be a little bit easier for for people just getting into the league. So the amount of stories coming this year is just going to be relentless and continuous. I think there's a lot of opportunity on the offense to create a lot of fascinating combinations. I mentioned one-line combination previously. Maybe you'll see a uh, Brendan Gallagher with a Sean Monahan and a Jake Evans. Maybe you'll see Josh Anderson with Kirby Doc and Ives Slavkoski. Maybe you'll see Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, Evgeny De Donatov or Mike Hoffman at the left wing. So there's a lot of possibilities. And one kid that I have found interesting to watch in the preseason already is Lucas Candata. I think is a very, very mature player at 24. I think he can hit hard, hit clean. I think he brings a different dimension to the roster. I think he could easily slide into the fourth center position and possibly even into the third center position. And that can create a challenge, obviously, for the likes of Jake Evans, Sean Monahan. I don't think his future is going to be long in Montreal. That's just a personal opinion. I think they're going to flip him at the trade deadline, and I think he was really obtained for assets. In addition to the first-round pick they already got for picking up his contract from Calgary, I think he's going to become even more assets down the road, because I think he's going to be a player in demand Provided he has an injury-free season, provided he comes back from all of his hips, which many people have reported looks good, looks fluid, still not quite ready, but looks like he's not in pain all the time. I think there's going to be some contending teams out there that are going to want to add him to their roster for the playoffs. And I think he can be anything from a second to third line center and be very effective for a team. I think he can play a really solid two-way game for the right team. I think, unfortunately, his contract, even if he was to have a really good year, everybody's like, oh, hey, re-sign him. I think, unfortunately, his contract is already at a number that I don't think allows the Montreal Canadiens, considering everyone else they have to sign, which, of course, this year's big signing will be Cole Caulfield, just like Nick Suzuki's contract was last year. Cole Caulfield is going to be the next contract of some significance to sign him because I think Montreal legitimately has, and some people will disagree with this. I think Cole Caulfield is their next legitimate 50 goal scorer and first 50 goal scorer since Stefan Richet, which has been way too long in a city that got way too used to that and should have never had to wait this long. But that is a combination of so many things that we'll discuss further down the road coaching styles, line combinations, you name it, of the past. So, with that said, thank you for tuning in to episode 13. Again, I'm your host, Steven Styles. Have a fantastic week, and we will talk again soon.